Well, that was really nice. I don't know if I'm very wise, but um, we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit today, so we've got that going. Just a reminder, my name is Taylor, and I'm a university campus pastor currently stationed at Eastern Washington University with my wife, Cassidy, and my baby boy, Matthew. Um, if you're wondering which one that is, sometimes during worship, he'll take his binky out and like wave it, like a lighter, kind of. That's Matthew, blonde hair. Um, a few weeks ago, Mark asked me to give the message this week, and he reminded me that it was Pentecost Sunday. But he also said that I was welcome to talk about literally anything that I wanted. So talk about trust on theme for our message series. Um, that being said, I will talk about Pentecost today. Um, and we're going to talk about the Holy Spirit and what it means to trust him. So... Um, I'll just pray really quick to open us up. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would speak to us through your Bible. And um, Holy Spirit, we invite you to impact our hearts and move us um, in our minds, in our emotions, everywhere. God, I pray that, um, that you would speak to us really clearly this morning. Amen. Um, Hey, you know, on, on the theme of being spirit-led, I'm going to just pull an audible here as I feel the spirit leading me to uh, open with the scripture that I was going to close with. So we're going to start in Luke 11. Sorry, slides person. Um, and I'm just going to read this passage from Luke 11 to kind of get our minds in the right place. I think that's why the spirit wants to go there. So Luke 11, um, we have Jesus teaching on prayer. And... Uh, this may sound familiar. This is an abridged version of the Lord's Prayer. Um, Jesus says, When you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. And then Jesus continues with a parable. He says, Suppose you have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, Friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, Don't bother me. The door is already locked, and my children and I are in bed. I can't give up to get you anything. Well, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity... He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of your fathers, if your son asks you for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? And I think it's easy to stop there and just say, man... That's so cool. Like, how about a car, God? Or how about a raise or something else? Um, but if you read one verse more, Jesus concludes by saying, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give you the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Amen. So I think that, that's what I want to really... Um, affect our hearts this morning as we go into talking about the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, a few books later in your Bible, Luke writes 
In chapter 19, he says, While Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Incidentally, this exact conversation happens in most churches in the Northwest every Pentecost Sunday. That was a joke. Uh, If you haven't read the book of Acts, the fact that the believers didn't know about the Holy Spirit might seem a little odd. Isn't the Holy Spirit in the heart of every believer? And yes, the answer is yes. However, there was a short time, just a few decades before, even when Jesus was giving this message um, that we just read, when the Holy Spirit was not widely available and it had not been poured out on the followers of the God of Israel and of Jesus. And this is part of the significance of Pentecost Sunday. So today, I'm going to invite us to consider the question, do I trust the Holy Spirit? I thought it might really help us to trust the Holy Spirit if we just were able to read a lot of Bible. And I mean a lot, so let's buckle up. The first chunk of scripture we're going to be looking at this morning is all about the buildup to the day of Pentecost following Jesus' ascension into heaven. And I'm sure you guys are familiar with the idea that we have four gospel accounts. These accounts line up very well with each other. They all uh, tell the same story of Jesus, although the authors have different intentions behind the way that they tell them, and that's really helpful. Um, That said, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is mentioned in all four gospels very similarly. And this kind of indicates how important it was in the minds of all the, these authors, the disciples, the apostles, etc. There's a man named John, John the Baptist, who shows up at the beginning of every gospel. And this is what he says at the beginning of each of the four. Starting in Matthew, he says, I baptize you with water for repentance. But after me comes one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. In Mark, he says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In Luke, he says, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down to untie, again with the sandals, he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And finally, in John, He says, the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And don't worry, John knows about the sandal thing. He just mentions it earlier in the chapter. Uh, As if four mentions of this thing wasn't enough, in the sequel to the Gospel of Luke, the book of Acts, we get a reminder, and this time from Jesus himself. He says, John baptized with water, but in a few days, you'll be baptized in the Holy Spirit. So by this point, hopefully, you're wondering what a baptism in the Holy Spirit might look like. All this hype, you know, the payoff better be good. And it is. This is going to bring us to the next part of our adventure through Scripture 
the event itself. So if you're following along in your Bible, you can flip to Acts chapter 2. I'm going to do that myself. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place, all the disciples of Jesus. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, Medes, and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said they have had too much wine. Just to point out the obvious, whatever the disciples were actually saying is pretty much indecipherable from the text. Um, Some have decided that the disciples were given a supernatural ability to speak other known languages. And I think that's entirely possible. I and others also think that it's entirely possible that a fair number of people just heard literal gibberish from the disciples because they thought that they were drunk. In fact, Peter catches wind of this and mentions a couple verses down, hey, these people are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. To which I know some college students who would say challenge accepted. (laughs) And apparently, uh, at the same time, a large number of people actually heard their own native language. So later in the New Testament, Paul will come to describe tongues as the tongues of angels in 1 Corinthians. Or in Romans, he says, it's the wordless groanings from the Spirit. So it's pretty ambiguous what is actually exactly being said here, except that the wonders of God are being declared. And what follows in this story is a career-defining sermon from Peter, the disciple last seen ashamed to be publicly associated with Jesus. Here, however, he stands up and addresses thousands of people and preaches the gospel. Having been baptized in the Holy Spirit, Peter is empowered to speak the word of God boldly. And it works, apparently, because 3,000 people decided to start following Jesus that day. And they didn't do the, you know, heads down, thumbs up sort of thing so that no one has to be embarrassed. Peter was like, who's all in? And hands start flying up, and he's like, all right, one, two, three, four, you know, 3,000 later. 
And I think it would be easy for us to read this and say, wow, what an amazing kickstart to the church. I guess that's the only time anything like this would ever happen. Uh, but Peter concludes his message by saying, repent and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call, especially those living in Cheney, Washington. And as we read the book of Acts, we continue to see many people get baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. So let's take a look at a few examples from the book of Acts. I said we were going to read a lot of scripture. The first one that we'll look at um, is going to be a very relevant event for the OG disciples of Jesus. Because uh, this time, it's Gentiles who are baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why does that matter? Well, early on in the days of the church, the only Christians were Jews. Jesus was understood to be the incarnate God of the Hebrew Bible, our Old Testament. So all the first Christians assumed that non-Jews had to convert to Judaism in order to follow Jesus. So let's read about what happens when Peter preaches the gospel for the first time to a group of Gentiles, and for the sake of bringing an abundance of clarity to everyone who might be unsure, and to make us all a little uncomfortable, I'm just going to point out that Jews were also called circumcised, the circumcised. And non-Jews are also called Gentiles and the uncircumcised. So there you go. In Acts 10, verse 44, it says, While Peter was still speaking these words while he was preaching the gospel, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. A little bit later, in the next chapter, Peter is with the Jewish believers in Jerusalem, and he explains what happens. Chapter 11, verse 15, Peter says, As I began to speak, the Holy Spirit came on them as he had come on us in the beginning. And then I remembered what the Lord had said. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. They knew that they had received the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they heard them speaking in tongues, just like what had happened back at Pentecost. I think Luke is really trying to communicate in his book that the gift of the Holy Spirit and the empowerment that he brings is for all believers. But it would be a mistake to assume that we're witnessing a sort of involuntary filling of the Spirit and that the Spirit possesses people without their full consent or control. And this is going to take us to Acts 19, where we kind of began our journey. We're going to read a little bit more. Acts 19, while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. There he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we have not even heard that there's a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, 
John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to believe in the, in the, com- in the one coming after him, that is, in Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. When Paul placed his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. What I think is powerful about this story is that it continues to illustrate the voluntary nature of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a partnership with a very gracious and patient God, not an out-of-control experience where your eyes roll back and you start to levitate and, you know. And so let me just focus on this point a moment longer. I think there's a reason that Jesus and John and Luke and Peter and Paul associate the spirit baptism with water baptism. I'm guessing that many of you here um, have chosen to be baptized in water. And when that happened, for any of you, was it like uh, one day you were walking along a river and you lost your footing and fell into the river and jumped out of the water and said, whoa, guess I was baptized. (laughs) Of course not. Before you got baptized, you probably prayed about it. You probably talked to someone that you trusted, made plans to get baptized by your pastor, and then willingly got in the water and were submersed and then pulled back out. Or maybe you were sprinkled, I don't know. And so I might be stirring up some controversy here, but I'm inclined to believe that spirit baptism is just as voluntary. Paul, when talking about spiritual gifts operating in the church, he says, God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. So let's not over-spiritualize the Holy Spirit and the experience of being baptized From what we see in scripture, it's actually demons that possess and incapacitate people. The Holy Spirit, on the other hand, partners with and empowers believers. If you're taking notes, it might be a good one to write down. Demons possess people and incapacitate them. The Holy Spirit partners with and empowers believers. So I'm going to ask our question again. Do I trust the Holy Spirit in this? Water baptism is a fundamental declaration of our allegiance to Jesus. Jesus' baptism in the Holy Spirit is a fundamental part of his mission for us today. And both require our own personal willingness, as well as a communal recognition and an affirmation from the church. As I mentioned before, Pentecost Sunday Today is a day where we can be reminded of the day that Jesus first started baptizing his disciples in the Holy Spirit. It's a day we can ask the question, do I trust the Holy Spirit? Now, what I would hate for you to hear from me is that me, me saying, are you in or are you out? Right? Do you trust the Holy Spirit or you doubt him? The fact is, trust in a relationship is not something you either have or don't have. I trust my wife, Cassidy, more now than the day before our wedding. But that doesn't mean that I didn't trust her before we got married. I trust my friend, Evan, enough to share a really personal prayer request, but I don't quite trust him enough to babysit my 18-month-old son, Matthew. And that's because I just met Evan a few weeks ago. 
So trust is something that is grown, not achieved, right? Trust is something that is grown, not achieved. So can we start to see our relationship of trust with the Holy Spirit like that? I want to share about my own personal experience with the Holy Spirit a little bit. When I accepted Jesus into my heart as a five-year-old boy, I wanted to be water baptized ASAP. Probably mostly because I wanted to get in the pool, but I think the Lord was at work. Um, But when I had my Acts 19 Holy Spirit baptism, who sort of moment, uh, when I was 19 years old, I was pretty unsure if I wanted that. I mean, I could see it in the Bible, but I felt pretty resistant to it because honestly, I hadn't spent much time getting to know the Holy Spirit, and I didn't trust him all that much. I spent months praying about whether or not I was ready to let Jesus baptize me in his Holy Spirit. And over those months, I actually grew to trust the Holy Spirit more and more until I decided I was ready to let Jesus baptize me in the Holy Spirit. And I'll say, when I'm 105 and only have one more year to live, I'll continue to learn how to trust the Holy Spirit even more. We get to ask ourselves, do I trust the Holy Spirit? Have I written off praying in tongues? Have I written off supernaturally giving someone a word of knowledge? Have I been active in my pursuit of the Holy Spirit? Have I eagerly desired the gifts as Paul encouraged his churches? Have I quenched the Holy Spirit as Paul warned his churches against? Have I resisted the Holy Spirit as Stephen accused the religious establishment of doing? What's my motivation for wanting more of the Holy Spirit or being resistant to him? This morning on Pentecost Sunday, we're being invited to consider these questions. You know what is crazy about what happened when people in the Bible were baptized in the Holy Spirit or given gifts by the Holy Spirit? Did it happen in a church service and the lights were low and the worship band was just playing perfectly and Taylor was just you know, singing in the spirit and everyone's emotions were hitting an all-time high? No. <laughs> it was in people's homes on a weekday. It was hanging out in the upstairs of a, of a house, praying with each other at nine in the morning. It was in the streets. It happens potentially in what would otherwise be pretty mundane areas of our lives. So I wanna actually close reminding us of what we started with in Luke 11. Which of your fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Jesus assumes that the best thing you could be asking for is the Holy Spirit. Maybe you've asked for more of the Holy Spirit and you feel like you've arrived at your destination. Maybe it's been a while since you've even thought about the Holy Spirit. The person that Jesus is inviting you to be is someone who exhibits this kind of shameless audacity in asking for the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, thank you that you are a person uh, that interacts with us. 
Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you are trustworthy. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you challenge our culture drastically. Thank you, God, that you are a supernatural God. God, we admire all those things about you, even though our culture might scoff at them. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impact our hearts this morning. Challenge us, Lord Jesus. Make us more receptive. Make us more open. Give us hearts for your kingdom. God, I pray that you would empower us this morning with your Holy Spirit. Empower us to, to preach your gospel. Empower us to love our neighbors. Empower us to love our community. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's see if I can get this right. Um, always remember Kate and Mark and me, Cassidy, baby Matthew, and most of all, Jesus, love you very much. <laughs> You're dismissed. You're dismissed.